0: You should add this piece for your act head. You know, you go up, Rudy, 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 yes. and then you do some bits, and then yes. you should start adding some other pieces, like horny, uh, horny, horny. Absolutely orny, not. You know.
1: Hello, and welcome to Good Is In The Details. I am your host, Gwendolyn Dalski, and guest hosting with me today is L.A. Lawyer. I mean, he does everything. He's on podcasts. He does comedy. Can I say you write sci-fi for fun?
2: Sure. There we go. It's out there. The secret's out. out. (laughs) It is out there. Rudy Salo. How are you doing, Gwen? I'm doing well. I want to commend you for your patience as I was trying to figure this thing out. The one thing I don't do is technological things. I mean, for some reason in this recording relationship that we have, whenever you come to the Nixon Peabody office, I'm the sound engineer. Yes. And it's ridiculous because I don't know what I'm doing. I am a patient woman. You're very patient in considering, you know, everything that's going on and how, oh, how many things dad. that you have. Yeah, I just wanted to commend you. <laughs> Thank you for coming to downtown. I know that's not easy. You probably didn't take the train, which is okay. We don't need to talk about that. Did you drive? I did. Did you? Okay, that's that's okay. In, in your condition, that's totally fine.
1: In my condition. Maybe there's, I should let it out.
2: No, 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 no. no. There's, there's no cats out of the bag.
1: <laughs> there was a bun in my oven.
2: Yeah. I mean, you've let that out of the bag on Facebook already.
1: I know, but I haven't said anything on the podcast.
2: Well, everybody no, that follows rock. you, yes. So that, we don't need to talk about that, though. <laughs> I know.
1: that you know what—that'll be upcoming episodes.
2: Did I ruin something?
1: No, you didn't. No, please. That'll be in upcoming episodes. Okay, so today we're going to talk about comedy
2: that's let's talk comedy. and we're
1: already smiling so this is good
2: i'm smiling because this thing's actually recording and i have a microphone and you're here and i'm happy
1: okay that's excellent <laughs> but to have our discussion about comedy we have a comedian producer author of seven books three on relationships actor writer and he's also a teacher for comedy writing or for stand-up yes yes ma'am jeff hodge
0: Hello, everybody.
1: Thanks for joining us.
2: He is a great teacher, and that's, how, that's actually how I met him. I met him through his comedy
1: course. So uh, like, is, is Rudy funny? He says he's funny, but is he funny?
0: Rudy, Rudy,
2: Rudy. <laughs> he just said the funniest joke of my entire act. I could basically just start it out that way. Yeah, Jeff. Am I funny? I mean, I don't. I've got a long way to be funny.
0: No, you're funny. Which means you have a long way. You know, I mean, it's like the thing about being. This is what I've always said about anything you do. If you do it long enough, you're going to get good at it.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: just how it is. So if you're only doing it for like a year or two, you're not going to be as good as somebody has been doing it for like eight or nine years, you know. That, that, yeah. That's all it is, really, you know. Some people are just naturally, when I say naturally, friend, I mean like just, like Woody. Woody has a natural personality, a likable personality. So that lends itself to comedy. Some people have no personality. And it's really hard trying to make them funny when they don't.
1: But isn't that... Wouldn't that be a good life skill, though? Was it? For somebody... Yeah, for somebody to learn comedy. Because I, I would imagine it's that finesse. that For somebody who maybe is a little bit behind on the social skills or doesn't have that natural wit, that learning comedy would really help. It, it allows for that social grace, I think. To read a situation, and it requires some deliberation. Why are you smiling at me?
0: No, because I'm, 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 <laughs> i doing what you're saying and I'm, and I'm picturing some people and, so I'm picturing the, the person that used to, you know, kind of like a little awkwardly socially and, and now they take a class and now, okay, I'm funny and then they go, hey, you know, and everything and it's like, dude, you're just out of your league here. So what you're saying, it is true. Yes, learning comedy, it, you don't have to be stand up, but it will help you just in conversation and yeah. in social settings and what's not. You know, I've have had people that take classes just to help them with that aspect. You know,
1: right. So
2: it can't hurt. <laughs> I, I will say, Gwen, the reason why I signed up for the classes is because I was doing a lot of public speaking and on an extremely boring topic, which is infrastructure and municipal bonds. And I'm like, how am I going to change things if I'm putting people to sleep? So that's why I decided to take some comedy classes and interject some comedy into my discussions, and it's helping. People are now just dozing off. That, was that funny? That you probably wasn't. I should try again. I should no, try you again. No, you
1: time. should try doing Aristotle. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> A two hour yeah. lecture on Aristotle. Okay,
2: let me turn the tables on you. Do you find, do you think that you could use some comedy in your teaching?
1: Um, yes, If you don't, if you don't have any humor, in your lectures, then it won't work. And that's something I had to learn early on.
2: So who taught you that?
1: Um, I have natural wit. Uh, she she does it. I will
2: say she has natural wit. She yeah. is very naturally witty and smart.
1: What? <laughs> Jeff, you don't look like you're believing this.
2: No, no. I was thinking of a
0: uh... The, one of the few classes I enjoyed back when I was in college, the first 10 years. Um,
2: <laughs> that was a joke. See, whenever he says that, I always laugh at that. but It is else.
0: true. <laughs> it took me 20 years to get to college. Um, oh, okay. My <laughs> psychology professor, I remember when I saw this guy, he was in a wheelchair. And, you know, he looked like he a hippie. And I remember seeing him around campus. I knew who he was. And then I get Dr. Long. So I even remember his name. And then I walk into this class, and I'm like, oh, that's that guy in a wheelchair. Oh, yeah. Again, it's a big lecture hall. Okay, psychology. I don't really want to take this class, but I got to take it. The funniest instructor. I mean, his lectures were all entertaining because he used humor. I showed up to every class. I remember his <laughs> name twenty years later, you know. And i been in an A class. So when when, I, when you say about using humor in lectures and stuff like that, it, it do work because, like I said, because he was entertaining, I went to every class. Three times a week.
1: And really, I think for me, it's trial and error that I think early on when I said something and it landed and it was funny, it was unintentional generally. So I'm joking around being naturally witty. It's just a matter of picking up when, oh, okay, this got a laugh. And then I just file that away and I say, okay, you know, next time that works. Because I think that the attention span of people is your age divided in half. So I've got a bunch of 20-year-olds, which means I've got 10 minutes (laughs) <laughs> you, got, yeah, you got a bunch of
0: 20-year-olds with phones now. Yes. Back then we didn't have phones, so it was a little bit more different. Now they got phones, so you got to fight for that attention with. Yeah. yeah
2: ba- back then they had abacuses. That, <laughs> see, I'm just going to be saying bad. So the whole thing today <laughs> yeah. is me saying bad jokes and looking to you two to, to laugh <laughs> Love it. at it. But the reality is I, I must say what you were saying about the attention span of people. The reason why I took the stand-up comedy classes is because I had nerves. I know that sounds crazy because I'm like a free flowing person that could talk on anything. I was getting nervous talking at these conferences. I needed to eliminate that nervousness. So I took improv for eight weeks and it mostly eliminated it, but I needed to take it to the next level. That's why I took the comedy classes. Okay. And what I realized from the comedy classes, people really don't pay attention beyond 5 or 10 minutes of anything that you say no matter what topic you're topic on. So that once once that I got over that realization of oh everyone's gonna if I flub one word people are gonna say something no they're not they're not even paying attention so the best thing that you can do is be funny that's what I think I think that's most memorable which goes right to what Jeff was saying about that psychology professor
1: right in terms of teaching comedy I I'm curious then when somebody so as Rudy was saying he's going to you know for help with lectures or public speaking what are people looking for when they're learning from you
0: well, I just teach them all the same, you know. I just help them develop a anywhere from a three to five minute set, but okay. in the class from day one, you get up. I have them do like a bio, just write a bio themselves, and then um, they they bring it in and then they go up in front of the class in front with a mic, and then I start uh, to start reading it, and we try to punch it. Okay. You know, and it's just like you would good comedy so now when they leave the class they have a, a, an act that they can do in front of an audience and they get at the end of the year, they have a graduation you invite your friends and they come and you do that set and you go wow you know I can be funny you know because like I tell a lot of my students the, the friends don't believe they can do it oh okay you know because you know you're not a comic you never thought about being a con now, I'm taking a class
1: yeah, Whatever.
0: Yeah, I'm having a graduation I want you to come And they're more or less coming to see if you're really gonna pull this off. Right. The hardest thing what people don't realize is to get from through a monologue from point A to B is a hard, just just memorizing it is a hard thing. Then you gotta factor in the pauses, all the nuances of the joke and stuff like that. It's a lot going on in five weeks to pull it off. And then they say, oh my God, you really did do it? I can't believe it, you know. So it's the same, and now, some people take that moment where, wow, I was able to do this, and you know, and it gives them confidence, and time they have to speak in front of an audience, and so I was like, you know what? I took a class, a comedy class, and I was able to make people laugh that I didn't know, so, you know, doing a little lecture here on this there it shouldn't be a problem.
2: I, I agree 100% with him. That's exactly what happened. It was a five-week course. The beginner course is five weeks. From day one, you're getting in front of people, and you got to, be kind of funny and Jeff's picking you apart and other people are picking you apart and they're giving you suggestions at the end of the five weeks you perform in front of an audience at a a comedy club and it's great I will say no matter who you are no matter how confident you are as a person you are nervous before you get up there it's one of the scariest things that you ever do it's the feeling after it's that oh my god I did it I did it I finally did it I would highly recommend anybody that did it once to continue to do it because it just continues to get better and better and you become more confident. I think that, that the, the nervousness can creep back in unless, you, unless you're unless you doing it at least once or twice a month, going to open mics and everything. But it's the building of confidence, which we as human beings always need to work on. We always need to work on building our confidence and having the skills of doing stand-up comedy is one of the best ways to build it. That's why I went to Jeff. That's why I did his beginning course, his intermediate course, and I'm honored every time he asks uh, if I want to do some stage time because I it's mm-hmm. it's really helped me out a lot. I'm clearly still not funny because you guys haven't laughed at yeah. any of my jokes today, but confidence-wise, <laughs> I feel a hell of a lot better. Woody, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I was thinking about <laughs> you
0: you're saying here's another. This was this. See, this, this is the extra stuff I'm throwing in. There. You know. You should add this piece for your act head. You know you go Rudy, Rudy, Rudy? Yes. And then you do some bits. And then yes. you should start adding some other pieces like uh, horny, horny, horny. Absolutely not. You know?
2: I will not do that. Well, I'm you.
0: just saying, but have some stuff like sleepy, piece. But just have like three things that you can just continue through your act every now and then. You just throw in. And that because your thing is the chanting,
2: Rudy. Again, I, I love the idea.
0: Yeah, so, you, a, you, I mean, just throw stuff, you just stop, and then you just, you know, hungry, hungry, hungry.
2: <laughs> here's here's a, here's a topic that we'll talk about today. It's it's a fine balance, Gwen, of what I got to do, because I'm my day job is I'm an attorney. I work at a law firm. I represent clients. Thankfully, Jeff, as a teacher, and I know we're, we'll get into this a little bit more, his type of comedy that he's trying to teach you, it's not offensive. It's not you know, making fun of people. It's, a, it's like real natural, like, hey, you know, make fun of yourself a little bit. Don't go crazy. Don't be saying, he recommends not saying any bad words. So he teaches what I think is clean comedy, which is, which is good. Oh. I, I I think, I mean, would you, would you say that's correct, Jeff? Yeah, that's how I was taught. You know, I would say when I came up to say
0: write for TV, if you write, if you write the clean, okay, and you're on stage and the producers from the tonight show hey we want you on the set if it's dirty like well uh, my whole set is dirty I, I don't have any clean stuff but if you write it clean you can if you write it clean you can, you do it in the nightclub you can add the curse words right but if the curse was your punch line you got a problem okay. so i was telling my students write clean you can always jazz it up when you have to but if all your punch lines are bad you're a very limited audience who can, you can perform for, and you don't want to do that. You want to have a big, wide audience. That's what you want to shoot for.
1: Well, some things from just for me, trying to discern the essence of what makes something funny. And every time I try to come up with a definition, somebody challenges it. But there seems to be something that it has to be true. Well, one thing that I think is really interesting about great comedy is that it's an observation. And I think that's part of the critical thinking skills that are involved. In what would make comedy comedy? A just, just perfect observation. It has to be true. Um, well, it don't. False, it don't have to be true. It has to have a nugget of truth, right?
0: It? It, it, yeah, the, usually the punchline is like an exaggeration, exaggeration yeah. of the truth, right?
1: Right. So, but then I'm also thinking, well, what makes something that is unfunny? So, Rudy, when you said making fun of somebody, that can work if it's a caricature, but not always. And this is where I was thinking that there's an there's a power structure that is revealed in comedy in the difference between something that lands versus that it doesn't. So making fun of somebody who is in power can be funny. Somebody who is in power historically and they're making fun of somebody else, it won't, who has historically been lower on the socioeconomic scale, that it won't land nearly the same that would then be offensive is that fair
2: i think that's totally fair i do make some political jokes in my comedy yes i mean even even jeff recommended not even doing that he's like hey there are people out there who like our president or or like the things that are that are happening in the country i'm like that's fine jeff i i want to go ahead and make fun of white supremacists that's okay i don't i don't want to have you know the most inclusive audience in the world but but it's all about who is in power and making fun of them totally i but i never make fun of anybody other than me because it's pretty easy to make fun of me but i think i think what you just said is, is is i've never heard it said that way but i totally agree with you i think that's right thank you what do you think jeff
0: well yeah it's it's definitely the dynamics is basically david and goliath so if you were goliath you know like we said one of the things i hate about that in the white house is for a man that has that much power for what he'd be doing, it just turns me off. It's like, really? You shouldn't be trying to bully people. Now, if it's some little kid trying to. It's a kid. So you, you look at it differently. Right. You know, if you, person in power, person, in, and you taking advantage of people under you, then you're going to have a problem. You know, it's going to be harder for the people to go. <laughs> that was Because you'll come out more like a bully. He's you know, just bullying
1: people now. Exactly. So, I mean, in, in philosophy, we're always seeking definitions. So, For example um with trump uh making fun of the the reporter with the disability so there was a caricature there were laughs there was intention but that's not that cannot be sufficient it doesn't it doesn't work it doesn't land and i think that it's because of the inherent power structure people imitate trump it works it can work and it's because there's a different power structure going on there so that's what was making me think about Maybe the importance of comedy, or what comedy can reveal—that it could also be a power structure that we're not even aware of. But sometimes that that joke allows us to notice it. That's what I mean by a good observer, as well.
2: well you're you're a damn good observer, because now Thank I'm gonna you. now every every time I see a comedy act, man, I'm gonna be like, is he the David or is he the Goliath? Like she just she just painted something right here that that is gonna be taught for the ages. I'm well, you.
0: you know what? It's not even so much if he is.
2: Or she is. Or she, oh, is. she is.
0: I'm sorry. Oh. Ooh, my bad. My bad. It's, I want to be cognizant. No, look at it as the joke is that because it's basically like we say. If you're going to do some jokes about other minor, if I'm a minority. If I'm going to do some jokes about other minorities, I got to talk about mine first. Amen. Okay. I can't just talk about them. They're not coming for the racist. But if I'm in front of myself first. And then I go to them and like, he's just being, so that's what you need to say, we, we know what's the dynamic? If the joke lands, if, did he set it up properly? In other words, they're lie. Did he put himself in a position of, he made fun of himself, <laughs> and then after he did that, then he went on you know, to other people, it's gonna work. But if he does it the other way, he's gonna come off as a racist or a chauvinist or whatever. And that's usually how, but now, here's the thing. You're always gonna have people that still likes that kind of humor where some big guy is bullying somebody you always going and, and again that's where that narrow audience comes in like you you'll have some comics build themselves as x-rated or you know political and stuff it's like yeah they get work but it's very limited because mm-hmm. it's the act is tailor me for a certain kind of art. So you can do that, but just know that when you do that, you're going to offend a lot of people, and you're going to leave a lot of money on the table because it's only a small audience you're playing for.
1: Okay.
2: I got asked the question recently, because I, I had just did an act with Jeff at the Ice House in Pasadena, and it was great, and somebody that I was talking with, I was telling her about my act and what I did, and the question that she asked was, did you make fun of any minorities? I said, no, I, I don't do that. I don't, I don't, that's not a part of my act. She goes, well, how could you be funny? The only thing that's funny <laughs> see, out there is if you're making fun of minorities. See. I'm like, is that really what you think? She's like, yeah, yeah, I do. That's the only type of joke I think is funny.
1: Uh-huh.
2: That offended me so much that I just didn't want to talk to this person anymore. But, yeah. but Jeff's right. There are people out there that want that that's type kind of comedy. Uh-huh. It's, yeah. it's shocking, but, but well, it's
1: true. It, but it re- reveals, I mean, I think that that's one of the things, because we're laughing and, I'm wondering if it's because we're laughing so hard and there's this release with it that we forget that there's a level of intelligence there between who's getting the joke and what is the joke that if making fun of minorities is your thing then that's also very revealing about the concept of power structure I think as well too if you're thinking that's funny.
2: Yeah, that's not a person I want to be around or associate with to be perfectly honest with you.
1: Well, so what started me thinking about this was I was on a plane, and, and my eyes were tired from reading, and I looked up at the television, and it was an episode of uh, of, of I Love Lucy. And um, I didn't have my earbuds in, but I knew what was going to happen. It was the famous grape stomping uh-huh. scene. So I'd seen it a million times, I don't have my earbuds in, I know what's going to happen, and I'm still laughing. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's going on here? What is making this funny? And for me, when I started to reflect on it, I think that with Lucille Ball, she's challenging a couple of ideas. What is funny for a woman to do? Because you're actually looking at two things. You're looking at Lucille Ball, the CEO, the one who is, she's the first woman to have owned her own production company. She's the brains behind all of that. So it's all very calculated and thought out. And then you're watching this woman who's supposed to play the role of housewife, be more demure, throwing her entire body into a joke that's unladylike so there's a couple of things that are being challenged there that's where I started thinking about what comedy can do is it can it reveal things that when we're laughing at something if we start to think about well what makes this funny then it can tell us a lot of somebody's actually challenging us to pay attention to something that we think is normal but might actually just be a an idea Yeah.
0: yeah well like my sister your family's gonna always keep you humble Two things. My sister asked me one time, "How do y'all look at the same thing we look at, but then find it funny?" I guess it's just the way we are wired, our brains. And then my aunt, when I, early in my career, she came to my first show. One of the shows you've been to. She's old school, real churchy. Bring her to my show, she comes, she sees it was an open mic at the college, you know, color contest. She didn't say a word about my set. We pull up to a stoplight, and she goes. So, you mean to tell me they pay you to get up on stage and talk nonsense? <laughs> <laughs> but really, that's all it is. That's all comics are doing. We just get up there, speaking our opinions, and we say it in a certain way that people laugh. That's basically it. We just talking nonsense. So, yeah. Um,
2: and a lot of times, what I, what I find myself as well, I'm watching comics and I'm studying them a little bit more so I can hopefully be funny one day and make laugh, <laughs> who you two laugh. What are funny? Is. Um, <laughs> sometimes i'm watching that and i'm like oh i've thought of that like oh that 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 idea popped into my head like oh wow he he or she just put that into a joke but I, i've it, there is a relatability that i think that what i think is funny is something that i may have either experienced or have done before that um somebody is just able to put it into a, a funny way, or they put a funny face to it and i, I get jealous to be honest with you i'm like you know what? I should have done that joke because I've had that thought bubble before. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that ever, if that happens to either one of you or when you're watching comics, have you, have you ever thought, hey, I thought of that. Like that joke popped into my head one day.
1: Well, that's right. No, I wouldn't, I don't think in those terms, but I do think of the truth of what they're saying. That when I have to think about, okay, why am I laughing at this? It's because they've tapped into a truth that nobody else has really been able to articulate in the same way. I think, well, uh, Jeff, what would you say? What do you think is the function of comedy? Why is it so important for us?
0: We need some release. I mean, <laughs> you turn on the news. I mean, the first ten minutes, you, you, I gotta find something
2: else besides it's depressing. So you mm-hmm. think? So you would you say? I mean, that question and that answer is: every human being needs therapy, whether or not they're in therapy or they go to therapy. The universal therapy is comedy. Comedy is something that we all need.
0: Uh, well. If you want to be that specific, I would just say everybody needs some entertainment. We need some kind of release because if you think about working and just doing that mundane stuff every day, going home and, you know, five days a week just going home sleeping and then you need some entertainment to get your mind out of because because you, you probably go crazy. And then... Once you do that entertainment, what's your what's your choice? You want a music, you want uh, poetry, you want a TV? you know. So comedy, yeah, comedy the, the, the one thing about stand up that that I like, you know, is and I I heard this said before I kinda of did it. You know, those you, you see those comics that gonna act and make a lot of money and then they still come back to stand up. And they say the one thing about stand up is the you get instant gratification. You make a movie a TV show, put it in a box, and whatever the release that's a release date. You know, it might be weeks, might be years from now. Comedy, you're going to say it right now, you do it, boom. Ah, oh, man, they love me. Oh, man, I still got it. Ah, oh, man. So once you get that feeling,
2: it's hard to get it out of your system because it is like a drug like the few times where I've owned an audience which are very very rare like the last time I did a show with <laughs> Jeff it was, it was just that magical thing. and I'll tell you this is, this is an important this is an important thing that I've learned and Jeff will, Jeff will support this too the crowd the crowd is such an important factor in everything like I've said the same jokes or m- more or less the same jokes with the same routine and like one crowd was, was okay it was like a 70% hit rate but then when you get the right crowd and the right mix and the right people and it's a 100% hit rate and everybody's laughing and everyone's clapping there is literally no better feeling on earth than being there with the crowd that instant yeah. gratification that magic yeah. for that 10 minutes you created magic for those people and it's just it's magic for you that'll stay with you for the rest of your life that 10 minute little,
1: little Yeah, no, that's great. Jeff, can you think of a couple of stand-up comics when you think about them they're important it's not just that they're funny but that they maybe change the trajectory of what we think about ourselves in comedy maybe you too rudy if you can think i know
0: for me richard Pryor. you know it's funny um i I grew up in islands you know and i didn't know anything about comedy entertainment i didn't know anything about anything i just watched it or whatever but i didn't know anything about it and then i come to america and i'm going to school here and people would say you're funny you should be a comedian. I had no clue what this was. So finally somebody gave me a tape and said, this is comedy. And I listened to it. I'm like, oh, okay. I can, I can do it. So Richard Pride to me, he was, he's one of those comics that a lot of comics my age and started. Those said, well, he was one of the f- f- reasons why they got into comedy. Eddie Murphy was the reason why I got into comedy, because up until... Eddie Murphy, if you remember Eddie Murphy, Prince, Michael Jackson, all these young guys. Up until then, I thought you had to be old to be in TV. So I listened to Richard Pond, Richard Pond, you know. But then I see Eddie Murphy and he's guys, I'm like, well, oh, I guess I don't have to be old to be in con- to do this thing, so let me give it a shot, okay? So those two people made a difference for me as far as for comedy. Let me see. I don't really watch, I don't really watch a lot of comedy, mm-hmm. you know, like now, in, in and in, I don't know if I told you this, because as a comic, You don't want to steal somebody's material Well, a good comic. Oh, wow. So you you watch a lot of comedy. I see some today. Six months later, I jump up on it. Oh, my God, I got this nice bit. Now, is this the original or am I regurgitating a joke I heard from six months ago?
2: Oh, my gosh. I never even thought about it. So
0: you got to be careful (laughs) when you, you know, because that can happen a lot. Yeah. So people ask me like who are your new comics to of today? I don't really watch a lot of the guy. I'll watch every now and then I watch, you know, but uh, mm, I mean Kevin Hart. I watch the, the successful comics to me, I look up to them and I don't care who they are. I don't get you know, I always have people say, Well, I don't think he's funny because I'm like, Look, he's making a shitload of money doing something I'm trying to do. So he's doing something right. So it ain't about being funny. Millie Vanelli won a Grammy and it couldn't sing. <laughs> That's what it's about. <laughs> I'm trying to make money. <laughs> I mean, that's what you're trying to do. You want to, I mean, you like performing, but you also want to be able to make it, you know, take care of yourself and what's not. So I don't get into this, he's funny or he's not funny. It don't matter. If you have an audience, people think you're funny, that's all that matters. Because you think of the funniest person, throw out any name out there, I guarantee you'll find somebody Go. goes, he ain't that funny. Okay. Guarantee. He ain't that funny. So it's all a matter of what they do for me, what they mean to me as far as for, you know, are they... Kevin Hart, he wrote kind of like the Instagram, the, you know, social media kind of guy, which is good, you know, but trying, I can't even get like freaking 2,000 fans, you know, you got 68 million, you know, so that's good, you know, stuff like that is like, what I look at is like, okay, so I don't really go by the joke stuff, I go by kind of like, what have they done for the craft to advance it? If I had to pick somebody new right now, it would be Kevin Hart. You know, for what he's done with the social media thing, the, the Netflix give us another avenue to, like, you know, make some money, sell stuff. Because back in the day, used to be Showtime and HBO. You can, I mean, you really have to be big to get a Showtime HBO special. I'm driving down Melrose and I'm seeing these billboards, and so and so Netflix specialists come. Up I'm like, who the hell is that? I don't know who it is. I'm like, I think I should have one. But because I don't know who I, I, I that person too, is, I'm like, well, it gives me hope because I don't know who that person is. Never heard of him. i am in mean, comedy 30 years. They got a Netflix special. That gives me a shot of maybe getting one soon.
1: So mm-hmm. so that's kind
0: of what I look at as far as for, like, comics that are trailblazers that are setting things apart. And
1: What would you, if I can just back up a little bit, what would you say about, let's say, Richard Pryor? What was your, he was the first comedian you listened to, and so what resonated with you about his comedy?
0: With um, Richard, it was... I could relate. Richard Pry when I watched him, and I, I always try to get to this point with Richard Pry. almost like when he he was real animated, and if he's talking about a deer, and he's you know he actually like the way he's acting, you can like it's actually a deer that is up there, like he's actually. And so I always wanted to be. I like the way he, that was so clear and how he was able to do that. And it took me a really long time to get to that point where I could be as animated and talk about stuff and make it seem like, okay, people can relate to what I'm saying. I can, you know. So I like that about Richard. He was very true to his, uh, like he said, Richard Pride were two Richard Prides. There was the first one where he just did jokes. He, he quit and then he, he went away for a couple of years. And then he came back and it's the Richard Pride that we see now who was, you know, Richard Pride was honest, he talked about life, true life stories, you know. I mean, his language was kind of crude, but that's the way he talked. So but I like the way Richard was, very it was very honest in what he talked about Mm -hmm. very animated
1: reedy how about you
2: yeah i too was a big richard pryor fan although you know you and i are the same age and jeff was joking around about richard pryor being old he was he was really old um i remember richard pryor and the sunset strip coming out Mm -hmm. in the early 80s i still remember that Uh, from a very young age um, my parents being immigrants didn't really uh, i don't think they understand english like perfectly well so they didn't know like bad language versus good language Uh so the type of stuff i was listening to as a little kid i probably shouldn't have listened to (laughs) it probably had a negative impact on me but like here were the big comedians when you and i were growing up eddie murphy was huge yeah you have delirious you have raw you go back and listen to those these days and it's like wow like I, I, you know that was funny in the 1980s it's very hard to listen to some of that stuff these days just because of the new environment that's okay people, we all change you know what else was huge when, when we were kids and probably people in your grade school and people in my grade school were listening to him, Andrew Dice Clay yeah, He was selling out mm-hmm. Madison Square Garden for yeah. five mm-hmm. nights. And mm-hmm. think and think of the stuff that he was saying and doing back then. Mm-hmm. And like where I mean and where we were as a society back then versus today. And while, you know, Andrew Dice Clay had a pretty good resurgence with like entourage, his material just can't work these days anymore. It just won't. Like we yeah. have changed and I mean I have changed and the people that I know a couple of buddies of mine the other day were sending around a couple of tweets about, like, Andrew Dice Clay. And we're like, I can't believe we used to listen to these guys. And these guys, we're not all, like, angels. Like, we're, you know, still a bunch of crazy dudes. But we're like, I can't, I can't believe this was around when we were little kids. It's just, yeah. It was just different, you know? I, I don't know how to describe
1: it. You know, as co- comedy as art, what it would do, just like any work of art, would reflect the time in which... To the cultural attitudes because it has to that's what I think is interesting about comedy or art in general is that it somehow it advances it and it's also got a historical stamp at the same time for sure without like, a doubt that's why I think about like back to the I Love Lucy is that and she's still in a historical context of what will sell there's a very traditional gender specific role that she's playing and at the same time is stepping outside of it enough to challenge it but yeah, but Andrew Dice Clay.
2: Dice Clay. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, you probably heard a little bit of it
0: growing, I've, growing yes, up. Yeah, yes, yes, no, and no I
1: know a couple of jokes that Dice. I will not say.
0: Right. <laughs> remember the nursery
2: rhymes? I mean, you were Oh, yeah, it? that's Dude, right. That's I mean, right. We were,
1: we were little
2: kids when we were hearing those. I mean, think about it. I, oh. mean, I mean, really. I mean, Okay, so
1: what made it funny? Hmm?
2: Well, I mean, really, what was, was it? Was it
1: that it was so crass that you just couldn't?
2: I think so. I think, I think, honestly, because I was a little kid. Like I said, I was making fun of my parents a little bit. Back then when you're a little kid and you hear the F word, you just automatically laugh. And then when you hear a comedian making nursery rhymes, when you're barely just a little kid and he's making these nursery rhymes that you remember from a little kid and he's making them with you know bad words and sex stuff, you're, it was immature. I mean, it was immaturity. I mean, I was like under yeah. 13 years old. But it was funny, I got to admit. You know, I, it was funny back then. I I mean, I'm sure we all thought it was funny, like, but things change. I think, you know,
1: I don't know. (laughs) I mean,
2: you, one of the reasons why we got together, right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think this is a great thing. And I think we should talk about is the Dave Chappelle special that just came out on Netflix. That was one of the explosive, most recent stand up performances that got this nation talking about, whoa, what's funny.
1: And this is the Sticks and Stones, is that? Correct. Okay, I just want to make sure so that everybody knows. I mean, I, so one of my friends told me, I want you to watch this because one of my friends, he's just responded and has been very frustrated with what's called cancel culture. And so I hadn't read any reviews. So I watched it, I actually watched it with two people, kind of curious to see what the reactions were. And there are times when I was laughing And I wasn't sure what I was laughing at. Was it the joke or that it was so outrageous, some of the things that he was saying? So some things that I would think would be off the table in terms of jokes would be things like pedophilia, (laughs) like that that would be off the table. So I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but... Go watch it.
2: First of all, go watch it. Please go watch, because it is important to this discussion.
1: So every time I think, you know, something like, like, let's say a rape joke, can that ever work? And my instinct is no, and then somebody will challenge it. I actually heard Sarah Silverman, and this might have to do back to Jeff we were talking about in terms of minorities, because Sarah Silverman made a rape joke I didn't think it was funny, but because she made it, it was forgivable. If a man had made the same joke, I would have turned mm, off. Exactly. The, I would have turned it off. And so now I'm more conscious of it whenever I hear something along those lines. And then with Dave Chappelle, then Dave Chappelle comes along, and I am laughing through the whole thing. And I have to figure out what's going on here, because every time I think that there is a rule, some things are not funny, they're off the table, somebody challenges it did you what did you think did you were you laughing
2: no i watched it did you have
1: any of the same reaction like i'm Uh, not sure if i should be laughing at this but i'm laughing
2: this was what what was going on be honest i was watching it with my wife and i said kate we need to watch this together because gwen and i are preparing for this and kate's got a great sense of humor and we like to watch stand-up specials together she's good hear what was going on through it i don't know how many times i said it but the words oh my god oh my god Oh my! Were are probably said about twenty times during the program because it's wow! Like this dude, he didn't hold back on anything. He basically said, "What are the what are the most offensive things in America right now?" And I'm going to take a, a mirror and I'm gonna I'm gonna make some jokes about it and I'm gonna have these pe- I'm gonna have people out there. I'm gonna for if anybody's watching this, I'm gonna make them laugh because I'm Dave Chappelle and I'm damn funny and I'm I'm a smart person and I know how to guarantee that. And I'm, I want people to look at themselves. And I'm I felt bad watching some of it. I mean, you were talking about the pedophilia when he was making fun of like the Michael Jackson situation with the with with the kids and everything. Because I did watch the Michael Jackson special and I did I do have the reaction of whenever I hear a Michael Jackson song now I turn it off. And and Dave Chappelle made fun of that. And so he's making fun of me and he's making fun of we as a society. And it's smart comedy. Yes it's offensive, but it's smart. And we, and we as human beings, we're not perfect. We always need to reflect upon ourselves, in my opinion. And that's why I really enjoyed the special.
1: And he was aware of it, too. Because at some point when he says, who's going to be responding to this? And he was very much aware that he knows he's putting stuff out there and people are going to be criticizing him for it. And he just went for it anyway. And I, he's not the first comedian to push boundaries. But I think, I'm wondering if in the age of Twitter, that it is just or the age of cancel culture that if it is just different now because he's not the first comedian to do something like
2: that. Let me ask a question actually and Jeff, I'd like your thoughts on this and I definitely would like your thoughts on this, Professor. Is the importance and is the role of comedians because we are in this heightened sense of hey, you can't say that, you can't say this, you, you better watch out, I'm worried about cancel culture, I'm worried about losing my job, I'm worried about pissing off a client, I'm worried about something. Is the role of the comic these days Is it their role to actually bring this untouchable stuff up, have us kind of have these discussions? Is the importance of the Chappelle special the fact that we're getting together and analyzing it and analyzing ourselves as a culture and a society because nobody else can do it? Is that the role of comedy? Is, is comedy the last place where the stuff that shouldn't be talked about can be talked about? Because, oh, well, you know, you showed up tonight. Clearly you knew that there were going to be some jokes, so you can't be offended by this. Is that—is that one of the roles of comedy these days? I'm, I'm, Jeff, what do you think? It always amazes me when people, I
0: mean, take stuff. Hey, look, the way I look at it is I'm a comic. I'm not a politician i'm not a CEO of it i'm a comic i'm gonna say things some might be smart some might be dumb i'm a comic <laughs> unless i say this i'm really serious about don't take none I say seriously <laughs> i'm just here to entertain. so getting back to the dave chappelle stuff uh, you know this is what i think i know this happened if for what he did some of the topic he stuff that he said when I looked at it, I was like, wow, he went... See, I was more or less like, wow, I mean, I, I wouldn't talk about that, but wow, he went there. But see, this is what I, 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 I imagine happened. Dave, come up with some ideas, or he's even talking with his friend that's watching the Michael Jackson special. Man, I don't think Michael did it, blah, 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 whatever. And he's riffing, and friends say, that's funny, you should do that on stage. You think so? Yeah, hmm, I'm gonna think about that. So Dave Chappelle got his audience, it wasn't Jeff Hodge just going to the comedy club and people don't know who I am. Those people who were in there with Dave Chappelle's audience—if he started reading the yellow pages, they would have laughed. So he polished up those thoughts in front of probably smaller little audiences, little places, and, you know, and he decided, yes, I know this is going to be controversial, but because this is my—if nobody in the audience laughed and they aired a special, Dave would be canceled, but because his audience was there and they laughed when people watch it the people who think like that man this dude's a genius other people oh he shouldn't have said that so i just looked at it as okay dave smokes a weed, he came up with this concept somebody said it was funny he decided to do it because he was gonna push the envelope he put it out there and it's doing exactly what he thought it would be his people always follow him and by everybody said, talking about it, you know, it's it's generated a lot more buzz. They probably gave him another special deal because he got a lot more people. look. But I didn't really, like I said, I look at a lot of comics. I think comics, especially comics, because, you know, I think comics, whomever you are, should be able to do what you want to do. When I say that, because, like I said, just because I won't do it, that don't mean you shouldn't do it. But you know what? So every time a comic does a joke, as a comic, It gives me ideas of avenues where, you know what, I won't do that joke, but here's a a little avenue I would go down. I could come up with a joke for that. So I just look at it as more as, you know, learning curve for me. Learning, okay, I'm going to talk about this. I may not talk about pedophilia, but I'm going to talk about, you know, something uh, maybe on the other side of that. Or what would I have done if it was my child. You know, how they should be reacting, these parents, how the authorities. So that's kind of how I look at that kind of stuff when I see these controversial comics. I'm like, I wouldn't do it, but... God bless
1: you. It's also demonstrative of a free society as well, because the other side of that is that if this is too offensive, and you want to say you can't do it. We're not willing to go that far either. You know, like, if, I mean, yes. the arts in general, I mean, if anybody studies any of the arts, then their parents, you know, freak out about it. Like, what are you going to do with that? And it's so funny how it seems to be at the bottom of the totem pole, but the one time it's threatened politically it is the scariest thing ever. So you have to allow that room for the comedians to do their thing, because it's also just demonstrative of how healthy a democracy is.
2: Yeah, what you're saying is comedy and stand-up comedy and being able to, you know, touch the untouchable or speak the unspeakable is a pillar of our democratic freedoms. And
1: There's... you're right. So that's what it is. That's maybe that's why the it's so important that we do sit down and talk about it. And if something isn't funny.
2: Yeah, Somebody's trying to be
1: funny, and if it isn't funny, we should probably have a discussion about that. So you're right. This is a place where, since he's not a politician, there's not votes at stake or anything like that. But and, what he's is rich, and he's rich. He's already right. really rich.
2: I mean, that's. I mean, he, he he talked about the ranch that he has in Ohio. <laughs> God bless him. But, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right. He's, he doesn't want to get elected. Like my aunt said, you mean to tell me <laughs> to pay
0: y'all to get up on stage and talk nonsense? <laughs> yeah, that's what they do. So.
2: If I see anything up here that may have please, it's just jokes. I, you know, as a philosophy professor, uh-huh. I, and you know, you talk about Aristotle, you talk about Plato, you talk about the, the history of democracy and everything. I really, I really do believe comedy, without it, there, that we don't have democracy. Yeah. And there are some very important Supreme Court cases um, one of them, uh, the people versus Larry Flint, or yeah. was it the people versus that was the movie? Wait, the name was Jerry Falwell versus Larry Flint. Where if you actually watch the the Larry Flint movie with Woody Harrison, a fantastic job. The root story of the movie is an extremely important Supreme Court case about parody and the importance of comedy and and how that is so important in our society. It's a a fantastic film. Put aside the disgusting things of Hustler magazine. It's the legal aspect of it that's extremely important. And that, really, at the end of the day, support. I mean, had that case not come down the way it came down, who knows where comedy would be these days?
1: Right. Really.
0: Yeah, people... Like I said, I've seen you look at some of those open micers, of, you know, and some new and a lot of times they're just they're just saying things. Sometimes it's offensive, but you learn something out of everything somebody says, or you know, like I said, the comments are like, oh, okay, it's for some kind of thought. Yes. And I and I think that's good because if we all just thought the same way. I don't think there would be anything new being developed because, you know, but somebody says this, somebody says this, and like, hey, you know, I'm going to take some of this. And next thing you know, you get Kevin Hart, you get Dave Chappelle, you get Seinfeld because they're taking all the best in making it into their thing and then make it their own and push it out there. And people are like, oh, he's
2: funny. I like that. Dice Clay, man. I can't believe.
0: <laughs> I forgot all about Dice Clay, dude. So I. know, man.
2: I. I, I, she asked me about, you know, comedians that you remember Yes. your kids. I would be a liar. Dice Clay. Anybody that knows me would be like, Dude, when you were a little kid, you know, he was one of the biggest comedians. Yeah, and he, he would, was. He would listen to him, Met and, and, Stadium, dude. I He's, mean, it was it was big in the 80s. I mean, and, he and was, things that were funny in the 80s are, are not that funny anymore. They're just not. Sometimes I watch 80s films and I'm an 80s junkie and I get offended by stuff. But, but I will say this.
0: There's another thing I love about Richard Pryor.
1: Okay.
2: I go back and I listen
0: to or I watch Richard Pryor live in concert. I think to me that's probably the funniest stand up right there Uh, live on Sunset Mm Strip I still laugh to this day I still bust up (laughs) and I'm not offended it's hard to I think about that and I think of some of the comics and you know, even like with music, you know, like, and it's one of the reasons why Shakespeare, They said, I heard that, they said Shakespeare wasn't necessarily the best writer in his day. It's just that he had so much of the volume of work. Most of his work survived. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why he's the most well-known. But, so when I think of some of these comics and other, these artists and music, and and I think about them, Bob Marley's one of my favorite artists. And I'm like, I listen to his album, his music today, and it's still timely. And I try to do that with comics and you know like big names and stuff and say okay five years from now ten years from now is this history going to be relevant am I still going to be able to laugh at this ten years from now and if you can do that that person's a very good comic amen yeah very good comic and
1: there's some wisdom in there too I'm completely blanking on the comedian's name but he's been in like who was it I can't edit my my paws out
2: it's called the pregnancy brain damn uh, I'm sorry but but it is it is no
1: oh my god he was so funny so he was also big I the first person I heard on a like on a CD or something like that and he was in all of um, the, the what was like Mallrats and like Kevin Dama. Arnold Kevin Arnold no no
2: no, no. oh uh, Kevin Ke- Smith Kevin yeah
1: um Okay, Kevin Smith film. He was always one of the comedians in Kevin Smith's films. Like, he played the bishop in Dogma. Oh, and George Perlman. Yes. Oh, yeah, yes. he's, well, he's, like... Yeah, he's, but there's some wisdom. Uh, like, yeah, he's, he's Richard he same Pryor. Same, 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 same thing. Same level. Like, I think yeah. Andrew Daly, Dice Clay, like, the reason why it doesn't hold up is because there was no wisdom in the joke. No, but he was
2: a character. Yes, he was a, yes. That, and he wasn't, and you got to be fair to him. Yeah. He, and you, when you go and you hear him talk, he was like, guys, I did this to what Jeff was saying. You, I sold out Madison Square Garden because this is what you Thank wanted. You. This is not really me. I'm Andrew Silverstein. This character I created was Dice Clay, but mm-hmm. that's not me. That's not my soul. And I'm like, I get it, man. You took advantage of a time. You, it was, it's a reflection well, of us as a society.
0: Well, sometimes, you know, I think of how the biz works and, and I'm thinking, you know, his people, the people that signed him or whatever. Some of that, sometimes, you know, I mean, I, I would imagine, the nursery rhymes was his lynch pinch this which was his clothes a bit at some point. It was. And, it actually and, was. So I'm saying I don't know when he got there, but I'm I'm just thinking how it works. at the comedy store he gets signed and he's doing a thing and his people say, Hey, look, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna create a character based on, you know, this and they created a character for him, you know, that came together and put their character together. You know. And he used it to make a lot of money. But one thing somebody had told me a long time ago that said, one thing about character, when you're, like, a character comic like that, it's hard for them to get work, like, in TV and film. Because unless they are looking for the dice clay or something like that, you can't build anything around that character. Yeah. So you got to be real careful if you're going to become a character on stage.
2: That is actually (laughs) excellent advice. He... Andrew Dice Clay did like one movie The Adventures of Ford Fairlane Where he basically played Dice And then he kind of died away Faded away until he showed up in Entourage Like w- was he really that successful long term No Versus all of the other comedians
0: Wait, wait long term am, am I in it to be long term Or am I in it to make a uh, shitload of money And yeah I may not be relevant 10 years from now But if I'm still living in a gated community So I'm just saying what what is your end game Fair enough so, like I said, which would you rather? Would you rather be have a, a number one album that stays in the top 10, you know, number one album, that, you know, for, for like, what, for, you know, six weeks or something like that? Or would you like to have an album in the top 10 for the whole year? You know, which would you prefer? And I'm like, well, I mean, how old am I? Where am I in my life? You know, but either way, you're going to make a lot of money. Now, what, is, what are you trying to leave behind? Do I want to do this here for 20 years? If not, I'm going to take the short-term payout and just say, "Hey, I made my money." I'm out. If I want to be relevant for the next 20 years, yeah, keep my album in the top 10. By the way, Lana Richie I think was only on that did that. She <laughs> was in the top 10 for like a whole year uh that album. That's why
2: you know, so Oh, not long. I know. Is that what you're thinking of? Well, it was that, it was... There's one from 1983 where he's when he's sitting down in the cover and he's got that white coat on. I don't remember the cover, I just on.
0: know it was it was that album. It was, it was a good album. It was that album that <laughs> stayed in it, and it. Outrageous! It was. Outrageous. it kept saying that at the uh, Grammys and stuff. But, yeah, that's, I mean, I think not everybody's going to last for a decade. The key thing, I think, in this biz, you come in it to, to do a couple things. You come in it for the fame and the money. And, you know, you want to do your craft. So... Dice Clay got fame and he got money now. Okay, anything else is gravy. I mean, we still talk about he he got an entourage. He may not be he may not be selling out the Met Stadium, but like why AMCA I am still surprised them guys still tour and they have their I saw followers. them at a
2: bachelor party recently. <laughs> no, no joke, They're I did. making money. I, I so I I like your point. <laughs> if you're going to choose a career as a stand up comic, you think it's a couple of things that you need to um, consider: Are you going to be a character on stage? How is that going to f- affect you know your, your future roles? Do you want to get into TV? Do you want to get in movies? And do, are you in it to win it quickly, or do you want longevity? Do you do you got you want to think about your legacy?
1: What inspires you when it comes to comedy, or how do you get your students to see comedy to observe? Is there yeah? What inspires you? Is there some sort of a, a process, a place, a way to look at things?
0: Comedy-wise, what inspires me? You know, I have quit this biz so many times, and then two days later, I got a really nice. Jo- oh, this is gonna be funny on stage. So that always
2: pulls you back in. That's like Mark, it's like Michael Corleone from Godfather. Press 3. Every time <laughs> I'm out, they, they keep bringing me back in.
0: You know, I mean, that's what I'm saying. When, when it's your passion, you you're always find your way back in. You know, you're not gonna stay gone. I, I look back and I, I don't. I don't realize I've been in this for so long how I was able to stay in this song. With the students, sometimes I find myself fighting with the students. And one of the hardest things is this. A lot of the students, they're older in the sense that they've, they're not like teens. So they come in, they've watched a lot of comedy and they have a vision of how they wanna be. Well, I'm gonna be, I've had people say, I'm gonna be the next, uh, the the next Seinfeld, I'm gonna be the next. I'm like, wait a minute, you just gotta be you right now. Seinfeld took forever to get to Seinfeld you just got to be you so you, you got to try to get that out of their head and to get them to focus and say look this is gonna work no no no, I don't think that's fun. I want to do this well I mean you could do that but trust me you need to start here to get there so sometimes that's a struggle I used to take it personally in the beginning oh my god my friends would tell me just lighten like up let them you know so now when, when I come in, they come in if they don't want to follow my instructions. I had one guy say, why why are you taking my class? Because I'm telling you what to do, and you're telling me what you're going to do. You're defeating the purpose of taking the class, you know. So my students, I, I, I try to get it out there. and say, look, I know you've seen a lot of TV, a lot of comedy, you know. Trust me, this is a process that i learned, and this is going to help you at the end of the day. When it's all said and done. When you do this, say, nobody else can do this material because it's you, you know.
1: Right. I think that's such an important lesson that a lot of people, we see the success and we, so we don't see how much work it took to get there. Mm -hmm. I know, um, a friend of mine who did stand up, I remember seeing him do a joke and it didn't land Mm -hmm. and it kind of, it bothered him. I remember after the show, like trying to figure out. And then I saw him over time tweak it. And then I was in the audience when it did work. And to me, that's part of the thoughtfulness that people need to see. Like that took a lot of, thinking and effort in order to get it to that point but if you had just walked into the audience and see it land you wouldn't have seen all the times it didn't and how much rumination i guess it took to get there but yeah i think that's an important lesson with with pretty much with any profession i think everybody wants to be famous right away and successful right away and they don't realize how much work it took to get there
0: the pros make it look easy yeah. that's why you guys, i can do that no you can't <laughs> i always tell people look if i came to your job and said, I could do that overnight, you'd go, no, you can't. You'd be upset because you know all the training and the time you put into becoming what you are and to where you are now. It's the same thing how comics feel and artists. Like, no, you can't do what I'm doing just walking in.
1: Yeah. Took me years
0: to get to this point.
1: Exactly. Well, okay, I have to say, right, so you have three books on relationships. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Can you just read off what the topics are?
0: The first one was is called "101
2: Ways to Keep a Man."
1: Okay, can you give me one of those ways?
2: Um, I'll read the other hundred. A clean way, Jeff. Remember, she's got <laughs> these are students. She's got students that she's good, that good, that listen to this. Remember, we're trying to we're trying to open up your student uh, population here, buddy. Uh, well, his
0: easy one. Don't take advice from a lady that don't have a man, can't get a man, or can't
2: keep a man. That's really good <laughs> okay, advice. That okay. is, I'm sorry, but that is very no, good
1: advice. Okay, so so everyone listening, you have to buy the book to get the other 100. Okay, so <laughs> what's another another relationship book?
0: Uh, one-on-one Ways to Tell When the Relationship is Over.
1: Oh, my goodness. So did you write this before the phenomenon of ghosting and all of that?
0: Okay. yeah this oh this was written back in the mil- the early this was like in t- 2003 or oh, okay. somewhere around then yeah
1: so what is what is one of the 101 signs
0: well if you don't have his number
1: <laughs> 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 that's pretty <laughs> 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 okay. Uh,
0: it, I mean it, it, it's so it's, obvious yet yet true you know it's funny that I wasn't even gonna write that book that book came about from a friend a female friend a co-worker telling me I was writing a law firm at the time and I was I had done one-on-one ways to keep a man and I was gonna write the, the next one and she goes she was telling me about one of her friends who was living with this guy and you know he had like double sinks in the bathroom and all that stuff and she came to his house one day and all her stuff that was in the bathroom was in a 99 cents bag hanging on the front door. Oh, and God. he told her something. not BS, a good sign, by the way. That's not a good sign. She was like, well, he said he's remodeling whatever blah. blah, blah. And she's like, she doesn't even know that it's over. It's been blah And she and I'm like, she said, you should write a book called One One Ways to Tell When the Relationship is Over with. That's how the book come across because I'm like, some people just don't get the
1: signs. Oh my God. Okay. All right. So we have to buy the book to get the other hundred signs. And what's the third book? on <laughs> what's the third book?
0: Jeff? one, one ways to tell if the person you're dating is crazy. Every woman got these stories.
1: Okay. So what's one of the one hundred and one ways?
0: If he asks you to marry him after the after dating for a week. <coughs> He's crazy.
2: <laughs> I am officially crazy. I pretty much, my, you... my wife and I got like practically engaged the night we met on a blind date. It's, it's true. This isn't true. Wait, date. wait, wait, wait. I've wait, always wanted wait, to know I, that I am crazy, and I've been telling but people. But you are I'm crazy. Okay, so wait. this
1: is just confirmation of what you've suspected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we've, what we've all suspected.
2: Wait. Yeah, thank you. Wait. Let's back up here. You met
0: her there, but you have,
2: y'all you have been talking before, right? No, no, it was a blind date.
1: Oh. <laughs> Oh, my and goodness. I, and
2: she was in New York, and I was in L.A. We weren't even in the same city. I'm crazy, people. You, I. This is co- Rudy's, confirmation. Rudy is fu- He's just being funny. funny no, no, no. So I'm being Rudy. Rudy. No, I'm serious. This is so this so you, so this say the truth. Crazy, crazy. You know, okay, am, <laughs> this, this is a true story, Jeff. I mean, wow, is it really? Yeah, you're never going to have me on stage like ever again. You're never going to have me on another podcast.
1: No, it's not true. But I think that what I need to do is read... These relationship books, and we need to do. Jeff, would you would you do another? Would you do another? You do a relationship hey, podcast?
0: I got nothing but time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Jeff, how can people get in touch with you? What's your Twitter handle and all that good stuff? Oh,
0: my Twitter handle is at Jeff Hodge Comedian. That's H uh, O D G E, Jeff Hodge Comedian. You can also go to my website, JeffHodge.com. That has all my stuff on there. And Facebook is at Jeff
2: Hodge Comedian.
1: Rudy, if anybody has any questions about infrastructure or how crazy you are.
2: Um, at Salo Rudy <laughs> on Twitter. That's S-A-L-O-R-U-D-Y. I am happy to give my own relationship advice, which is if you find the one, just tell them you love them and just just tell them you're going to marry them that night. Just tell them. Just, just, there's no time to waste. Oh, my God. There's so little time in life. Just just lay it out down on the line. No games, no nothing. That's it. That's my relationship advice. You don't, I don't need to give you 101 more things. That's it. Thank Usually that's the age women. Did I make you guys laugh? Finally? Did I finally <laughs> no, make you guys that's... laugh? Please!
1: Nothing. Oh my God. Okay, a hopeless romantic here. Oh my God. Okay, well, that was sweet. All right.
2: Thank you, Gwen. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, look forward to more relationship talk.
1: And uh, if you have any questions, you can always tweet me at. What the hell is my. Okay, add G (laughs) Dolsky. For real? I think we need to end this.
2: Yeah, we're ending this right
1: now. Thank you, Glenn, for for making the whole show. Oh, thanks
0: for having me. Thank you.